Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Is this the fruit loop? The, yeah. yeah, this is it. <laughs> so, so the fruit loop starts and ends where then? We were just talking about that. Marston Point is a parking lot and lookout perched at the southwesterly end of Balboa Park. It's a pretty quiet corner of the park these days. Birds chirp, joggers jog, the American flag ruffles in the wind. The most excitement happens when a loud airplane flies close by overhead. Pushed underground by the reigning mores of the time, gay people turn this into a meeting place. Some people, gay men mostly, use the dark pocket of the park to meet one another for anonymous sex. The parking lot and the road leading to it eventually earned a nickname, the Fruit Loop. And especially after the sun went down, the illicit activity cranked up. Things got so wild, the city had to close the nearby public bathroom, and the two-way street leading to the lot was made one way to cut down on opportunities for drive-by eye contact. Can I cram into this car with <laughs> Longtime Balboa Park Ranger Kim Duclo recorded his memories from the heydays of the Fruit Loop. His story, along with about a dozen others, played inside cars parked at the Fruit Loop on a recent Friday night. A couple dozen folks milled around the Marston Point parking lot, hopping from car to car and in and out of some very frank, sometimes emotionally jarring recorded audio stories that are connected to the Fruit Loop in some way. The he Ranger Kim is referring to in this story you're about to hear, by the way, is a police officer who decades ago wanted help patrolling the Fruit Loop because things were getting so out of control. There just seemed to be an incredible amount of drug dealing, drinking, sexual liaisons, whatnot, and he, he just seemed almost astonished by the amount, the amount <laughs> of activity going on. So he managed to get somebody with the uh, airborne law enforcement, um, the helicopter, the ABLE helicopter that the city of San Diego uses, and they had some fairly good um, FLIR equipment which allows you to kind of night vision goggles and that sort of thing night vision cameras that allows you to to see things and activity going on in the dark when they were going over looking through the flare equipment he said that the helicopter pilot said is there a is there a nightclub down there is there something he thought it was like an open air nightclub because all these little Dots of light, generally Couples. two people in each little section were showing up, and there were literally hundreds of these couplings, if you will, of light down there. He, he just thought, I have to be over a bar, or I have to be over something, so and it turns out, no, he was just over a very dark, quiet part of Balboa Park, and activity was going on. And again, these two people, the, the police officer and the helicopter pilot, I think were somewhat astounded by this. Ranger Kim's recording is part of the programming Pumping Out of Parkeology, a public art series orchestrated by artist Kate Clark. 
Kate embeds herself in urban parks and unearths long-buried stories, forgotten sites, and other memories kept out of public view for one reason or another. For the last two years, she's been entrenched in Balboa Park. With parkeology, Kate takes the type of interpretive programming you might expect a park ranger to do, educating folks about a park's native flora and fauna, or highlighting the human history of an area, and she filters it through her contemporary art training. The result has been a series of creative and often offbeat happenings like the one at the Fruit Loop, an event she held last year too. The stories playing inside the cars that particularly frigid Friday night came from all types of people. There were stories from men who cruise for gay sex at the Fruit Loop. It wasn't one of the words AIDS at the beginning. It was uh, a gay cancer or whatever. It was scary because, like I was saying a few minutes ago, that my friends were dropping dead and people I didn't even know that I knew, you know, as a casual from the bars. It's like, uh, I remember talking to a friend of mine on Friday and then get a phone call on Monday that he was dead. I'm like, I just talked to him on Friday. He looked fine to me. I mean, it was because it was so new, people were just dropping like flies. Stories from gay activists who were watching very closely what was happening at the park. Having fun took its toll. It did. And it was extremely unfortunate. We lost a lot of lives. Um, But it also gave us grounds to stand on besides being neglected. Um, It allowed other people to start caring. It allowed other people to start doing things. Um, It it allowed us to have two feet to, to march on. And then after that, I think that given those circumstances and the deaths, it became even a little bit harder to go out into the community because beyond the fact that people already thought we were mentally ill, they began thinking that we were diseased, plague-ridden people as well. One from a lawyer who defended the closeted gay people who got busted at the park? They eventually got to the point where um, they were not uh, uh, targeting as vigorously the police officers. They were embarrassed to come in and testify in these cases what they were doing, that they were dressing up as gay men and going in and cruising, or that they were putting on camouflage and hiding in the bushes watching gay men have sex at night. Uh, They didn't want to talk about it. You know, the old days when they could arrest somebody and they'd walk in and plead guilty on day one, those were great. You know, they got their arrests, they got their conviction, uh, you know, they they got their undercover operation that they could say they participated in. Uh, But when all of a sudden they, they had to you know, testify in front of citizens every day, people, a jury and a judge about what they were doing, it, it wasn't as easy as all that. So um, um, eventually I, I think I, I put myself out of business. I mean, you know, I was too uh, effective, you know. So it was, it was you know, a, a fun thing to, uh, to be a part of in the sense that, you know, the, uh, you feel powerful if you, if you can... Um, make a change. A story from an openly gay San Diego Police Department officer who had to patrol the Fruit Loop. Is this car still going? <laughs> Are you guys leaving? No, I just switched seats. Oh, okay. What's this story about? This is like the cop. Yeah, the cop. In the old days, people met one another and they went to a house and that kind of thing. And 
that some people were having sex in public spaces and there's other people using those public spaces and they'd come across the activity and were offended by it so um, got the uh, Logan Heights Family Health Center they had a HIV prevention grant and they would have two people with yellow t-shirts that said counselors and said the name of their organization and they would go down and talk about safe sex and hand out lube and condoms and that really reduced a lot of the activity because the outdoor sexual activity is mostly anonymous. People don't want to know each other. They just want to have their sex and be done. And one car just playing a loud disco song on repeat. So we meet again. Oh, hello. Is this the disco car? Yeah. I met lots of people inside the cars who were learning about the history of the Fruit Loop for the first time. All of the young people I talked to at the event were struck by the stories, reminded how lucky they are to live in a time where being queer isn't as hard as it once was. A lot of the folks said they were also feeling really nostalgic, yearning for a pre-internet time when people actually left their houses to meet and talk to one another. Together now, they lamented their feelings of isolation by personal electronic devices. Taken as a whole, the audio stories in the cars brought to life a fun-loving, tight-knit community. A few event-goers said they felt like they were reliving what it must have been like during the peak of the Fruit Loop. To listen to the stories, they had to crawl into a car with people they didn't know, squish up close next to them, and listen to some very personal stories together. It's just very... And I'm sitting with strangers. Like I, say, I, I, I open the car. It's a stranger's car. I'm listening to a stranger tell a story, and I'm sitting next to a stranger. I'm like, hi, and then we're all listening to this together, and it's very intimate. And I think that's what this whole, these, a lot of these experiences these people are telling are, are, are opportunities to become closer together with people in a time when, you know, your, your sexual identity was, was suppressed by your society or your family or whatever. And so right. it's a very, so this event in general, I say, is a very intimate experience. You know, on all levels, you know, we're all, you know, it's even cold. We're all huddled next to a fire and we've got our... Kate collected the Fruit Loop stories with the help of Lambda LGBTQ Archives, a nonprofit that collects and stores the history of the local gay community. Lambda Archives' Walter Meyer was hopping in and out of cars at the event. He said he really liked how things turned out. I think it's great. I think it's a a unique look at our experience because most people don't want to talk about this aspect. And so Walter put the word out about Kate's project and was surprised by how many people came back to him saying, yeah, I have a story about the Fruit Loop I could tell you. He himself is old enough to have experienced the Fruit Loop firsthand. But he missed his chance. I came out kind of late in life. And so by the time I was doing gay things, uh, the Fruit Loop was already dying. So a friend brought me out here to sort of show me, but it was already, you know, people went on AOL chat rooms to to hook up. It wasn't like the 50s and 60s when people came out here because this was the only place you could go. Right. So it didn't hold a special place in my heart. I knew... You know, that it did for other people. And then hearing the stories from so many people, you know, as part of this project, then I realized why this is, you know, special to some people. And, and because before there was AOL and Grinder, how did men meet each other? Kate will be exploring Balboa Park through June. She's got several more events planned, including one that digs into a piece of Balboa Park's history that includes a nudist colony. 
another that will have people looking through the troves of specimens kept in cabinets at the Natural History Museum, and another that will attempt to reactivate the decaying Starlight Bowl Theater. You can follow the Parkeology Project at parkeology.org. That's P-A-R-K-E-O-L-O-G-Y dot O-R-G. He lays blanket underneath the freeway As the evening sky grew dark Took a sniff of concert from his cocaine Headed through I'm Kinsey Moreland, and this is Voices San Diego's Culture Cast a podcast covering local arts and culture. If you like listening, please consider heading on over to voiceofsandiego.org and clicking the donate button. You can even type in CultureCast when the online form asks you why you're pitching in. If you're a business owner and you want to sponsor the show, email erin at vosd.org. That's E-R-I-N at V-O-S-D dot O-R-G. This show was produced and edited by me, Kinsey Moreland. Andrew Keats edited the script, and Tristan Loper mastered the show. Thanks for listening. Sleeping in a shelter If an eye